Before we begin this episode, a dramatic reading from the television show Community. I will be playing Britta, and Andy will play Jeff. Shouldn't have worn that petard if you didn't want to be hoisted by it. What do you think the expression hoisted by your own petard means? I guess I just assumed that in the old days, a petard was a special outfit like a leotard with a lot of fancy buckles and loops on it, and that rich people would wear it when they were feeling especially smug. But then poor people could tie a rope to one of the loops and hoist them up a pole and then let them dangle there as a punishment for being cocky. Never look it up. Your explanation is way better. Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do list one week at a time. I'm your host, Sam, the resident Britta, and with me are my co-hosts, the Annie to my Britta, Tessa, hello, and the Leonard to our two-person study group, Andy, <laughs> veteran of the <laughs> Vietnam War, Vietnam side. <laughs> Today, I am making Tessa and Andy regret they ever admitted to not having seen great works of pop culture by making them enjoy great works of pop culture. That's right, everybody. As usual, the petard hoister and the petard hoisty are both me. Let's start with Andy's adventure in Casablanca. Yes, let's. Uh, All right. For the two people listening who don't know what Casablanca is actually about, Tell Bard and the other person what it's about. Okay. Let's go ahead and talk about what Casablanca is about. So this guy, this main character, the, the, same, the same one for uh, Treasure of the Sierra whatever, he owns a bar. And it's a bar in Casablanca, which is apparently a town somewhere in uh, Morocco. It is a bar and casino. And he... Uh, Okay, so one day this uh, <laughs> Tweety Bird looking m- shows up and is like, hey, I need you to hold these documents for me. And then uh, Tweety gets arrested, dragged out, and the documents are apparently very important. People are looking for them. And all of a sudden, his old uh, main character, his old flame, shows up. Uh, old old woman, but she shows up uh, with with her her new husband, uh, who's this real uh, smooth talking cat. Then a German general shows up, you know, a, a real like a Yosemite Sam type person, and uh, well tries to arrest her husband for for things like uh, writing anti German propaganda. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So so this was a weird. Uh, this was a weird, weird movie to be watching. Uh, that took that was filmed before the war, but also during the war. You know the way you describe this movie. Mm-hmm. If you took out the German part and the reference to a city in Morocco, and I guess the war thing you said at the end. But if you take that out, I think you just described a potential episode of Atlanta. Hmm. It's it's weird. Like that you just described a plot that would work in a lot of different scenarios and a lot of different genres, a lot of different places. It's it's interesting. I wow. have never heard Peter Laurie described as Tweety Bird. Looks exactly like Tweety Bird. Uh-uh. Exactly. No, I, I really don't think no. so. Peter Laurie haunts my nightmares. Wait, 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 wait. Does Tweety Bird haunt your nightmares? Yes. So so you so so you wake up you wake up to the sound echoing in your ears of Tweety Bird saying, I taught I taught a gun. I shoot you with it. <laughs> something like that. Is that is that right? Uh, but with a German like accent. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let, 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 let's let's go with that. Let's go with that. All right. Tweety Bird is nightmare fuel for Andy. Moving mm-hmm. on. Standout scenes. 
All right, so so there was one scene that was really, really, really weird in this, and it's um, when the, the the main character goes to um, <sighs> goes to to the police department after his uh, you know the 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 smooth talking cat dude uh, is getting arrested and kind of processed and will probably be executed by the uh, Yosemite Sam dude, and the the main the main character goes up to him and is like, hey. That's not how you do an interrogation. This is how you do an interrogation. And then he sits or somebody Sam down in the chair. And all of a sudden, the main character is wearing a little children's outfit with a giant lollipop. And he says, it's him. It's him. It's the man who took the giant lollipop. Who took my candy away. And then hits him with a lollipop. And then the main character switches to a woman's dress with an anvil that looks like a purse. Is like, he did the, he did the thing. And Hits uh, Yosemite Sam again, and Yosemite Sam has to run into the jail. Yeah, yeah, this was a weird movie. So here's the thing: I know what's happening here. I took me a little longer, but I remembered the thing. But I'll play your game, Trebek. Something <laughs> seems off here. It kind of sounds like you're talking about the Looney Tunes, and not. The folks who actually starred in the film, the feature-length film, that is often regarded as the best film ever made. Right, Car- Carrot Blanca. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Carrot, Carrot Blanca. Right. The- uh-huh. go, go, no. <laughs> the Looney it- Tunes short. No. No. <sighs> Did you watch the film Casablanca? Yes, I watched the film Casablanca. And what did you think? Okay, so I really, really, really wanted to hate this movie. <laughs> I wanted to be why, the person. Why ever for? I I wanted to, to be the person who had a good hot take as to why Casablanca was an overrated, uh, an overrated piece of trash. I I I wanted I wanted. To find something wrong with it. I wanted to hate it. I wanted to hate Sam for making me watch it. But instead, I have to say, it's a good movie. So, you are a failure. But let's talk about why, specifically this time. Why is this a good movie? Okay, so Humphrey Bogart plays Rick, the main character who owns a bar. And... um, there are all these things that are um, kind of shorthand for older movies. Like, uh, for instance, there's this thing where the characters kind of just say their personality trait constantly. This is kind of um, parodied in Hail Caesar uh, a, a bit, but where the characters just, you know, just keep saying like, oh, uh, well, well, that's not for me. A girl will never tie me down, etc. You know, they, they keep saying they're their 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 thing their their thing and uh so morocco is currently owned by unoccupied france which means it's weirdly neutral but also not neutral at the same time the police chief is very open about being corrupt and uh and accepting bribes bribes from uh, humphrey bogart and humphrey bogart just has to keep saying like i don't stick my neck out for nobody know how and it's an annoying shorthand in a lot of older movies because it's like okay this could have been written better that you didn't need to do this well he has to keep saying this though because people keep asking him for favors and for him to side with the germans or the french and he has to remain neutral so he keeps saying it and it's a really great way of working in character work uh there's another thing about older movies that i really 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 dislike and that's when the movies are used as um as like a method of either showing a live musical performance, right? Uh, there there are older movies that aren't musicals that just have a three or four minute musical number because, hey, look, uh, remember you used to be able to do the big band thing and now we're in the Great Depression and everyone's poor. So this is the way to like, you know, live vicariously and see the clubs again. Um, and Casablanca has a beautiful musical number that fits because there's subtext in it there's subtext and the movie plot still keeps going around the clubs keeps keeps uh functioning the you know there's there there's there's layers there 
Um, and this is also the same thing that of uh, older movies that I hate, where they also kind of doubled as a travelogue, right? Like as a way of just showing people the world that they could never really see themselves. This is, I think it's one of the reasons why uh, Around the World in 80 Days won the uh, won the Oscar for Best Picture in like 50 whatever. <laughs> this movie is so weirdly progressive in in a lot of ways where for uh, Humphrey Bogart is a man who has been incredibly hurt by by a woman earlier in his life and that woman came back into his bar and that's where all where one of the, the most famous lines of that i thought was from a um like a uh, an old noir i i you know she could have walked into any of the gin joints in the world and she chose to walk into mine that sounds so much more like a, a noir and i have to say it's so fascinating to see a character who's considered or a, a actor who's considered so manly and masculine to actually show the vulnerability that he's showing in this uh, to actually admit that a, a woman hurt him and for it to affect how he proceeds with his life after this. And the movie does a great job of telegraphing what happened, how it happened making you uh, hate the Ingrid Bergman character and then understanding her completely when the truth comes out. It's, it's, it's fascinating. There's, there's, there's so much. There, there are just layers to this dumb old movie, and I wanted to hate it. I really wanted to hate it, and it just it was really good. Layers in this dumb old movie. You also referred to it as progressive earlier, which is, I think, very interesting in the context. So, you know, back in episode eight, you did talk about Citizen Kane, which was written, directed, starred uh, Orson Welles. And, you know, that was the, the epitome of the auteur theory of filmmaking, right? He did new things, you know, putting the, the, the fabric ceiling so he could shoot from the bottom up and not have the audience see the stage lighting the way that he managed to trick your eye into thinking there were non-stop cuts uh or or no cuts it was just one non-stop scene without cuts just the number of things that he did and moved forward the genre Casablanca is put right next to it but the irony is is that it's based on a play and was adapted into a screenplay by no less than four people. It was assigned a studio director. It was assigned studio actors. The two lead actors did not get along with each other. This movie was a studio fabrication. Like uh, Curtis directed, uh, hold on, I'll tell you real fast because it matters. That year, 1942, Curtis directed... Casablanca, Yankee Doodle Dandy, and Captain of the Clouds. He directed three movies that year. We could look up Bogart, and I could tell you he was in multiple movies that year. This was a slapdash production that was put together. But here we are, talking about how great it is against the literal opposite movie, Citizen Kane. Which just goes to show you, people know nothing. There are no trends. And sometimes what happens, happens. And I, I do want to bring up that I don't think the acting is particularly grand, but the actors do a great job with the script. Um, I, I also think that this movie is making a choice in the war effort. Uh, you know, this is, was filmed before America got into the war, I believe. It, it, it is definitely making a, a decision on where people should fall in the war on the uh, France versus Germany side. Um, it is definitely making a decision there. It also has, I think, and I, I, I'm not a, uh, an expert on old, um, old movies or uh, where uh, African-American actors played in those roles, but it, it has a, uh, an African-American actor who, ostensibly at the beginning is just the the music club musician and 
actually demonstrates that he's very important to Humphrey Bogart's character Rick. That he's that that he is uh, a friend and a confidant, and for Humphrey Bogart to even be willing to play that with with the way segregation was and and racism in the forties, like that, it, it says a lot about this movie and what it was trying to do. It was really cool, and the way it uh, it builds up to its twist, and this twist is super famous. I won't say it on the odds that you don't know it, but the way it builds up to it is really, really clever. Really clever. Um, it is so bizarre. Uh, I I enjoyed this movie thoroughly. I enjoyed it a lot more than Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I was going to ask you, I, I, I will note that Julie Wilson, who plays Sam, has just this beautiful rendition of time as time goes by i mean that's obviously very famous but it's also just every time i hear it i'm just struck by how beautiful that song is and the his performance is just excellent but i was also going to ask you about the dialogue because i think that's half of what makes this movie so good is actually the dialogue and the pacing of the dialogue i mean i think i've laughed more at claude rains's jokes in this film than i have in any movie around that era what did you think about the Claude Rains character and sort of his relationship and back and forth with Rick, especially Humphrey Bogart's character? Right. He he was he was so funny. Uh, there the oh, there, there's just so many moments where he is both, um, you know, an openly corrupt police captain. Just just straight up, like, yeah, no, this is this is uh, Casablanca. I'm I'm the police chief. What I say goes. Thanks for letting me win it roulette, Rick. Um, it, <laughs> it is it is so full of great, great characters. Uh, also, it there, there was another movie that I watched. It was a, um, a Orson Welles' third movie, actually, uh, called Journey into Fear that uh, takes place around the same time as this, but it takes place in Turkey. And there is a, um, I, w- I, I would say, some problematic representations of Turkish people. <laughs> In in that in that movie, I I couldn't pick up anything in my uh in my white you know non knowledge of uh of Casablanca and uh, its uh, history of being uh, colonized or whatever by France. But yeah, yeah, no, no, the the dialogue is hilarious and the jokes hold up um uh, so well uh. Also in Carrot Blanca, the the song that gets uh, the Bugs Bunny character upset is just one note. Um, <laughs> literally, the uh, the the same character, the musician, is played by Daffy Duck, and is asked to uh, is 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 asked to play it play as a special song by the uh, the. Uh, Elsa is her name. I keep wanting to call her the chick from Frozen. Uh, Elsa. <laughs> uh, that would and, be a good movie. I'd watch that movie. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that'd be a very different. And Daffy just hits one key and Bugs Bunny immediately jumps out. I was like, I told you never to play that song. <laughs> nice. Uh, but but yeah, it, this it's so funny. I, I, am, I am absolutely stunned by how much I like this movie and... Uh, how much of a surprise it was for me uh, to like this movie. And also it reminds me again that even if you think, you know, things about a movie through cultural osmosis, you should still watch the movie because there's a lot more to it than that. Now I'm just thinking about that, that last scene at the airport and she breaks out into song and sings, let it go. It would work. It would work. She tells him to let it go, and he has to. I mean, do you want to build the snowman? Uh, and then no, and then he turns around, and instead of the beginning of a new friendship, the guy says, "I like warm hugs, and it's fine." All right. So, Andy was wrong. If you haven't seen Carrot Blanca, you should. Casablanca is a great movie that you would recommend. Anything Casablanca else? Casablanca is a great movie that I would recommend, and also. Um, <sighs> you for making me watch this. Hey, you're welcome. Now, let's talk a little bit about Tessa. 
Spooktober. Thank you. So the thing that happens in October, first of all, we're going to have three weeks of Spooktober. Because our first episode in October will be devoted to our second question mark part of our special James Bond series of episodes that are celebrating the promise this time release date of Daniel Craig's last Bond film, No Time to Die. Just this week, they said we're doing it. We promise. No, no, no changes. So we'll see. But anyway, so we're going to have three episodes of. I hate you for making me say this over and over again. Spooktober. <laughs> and yet wait, you didn't wait. just say I could edit it in there with something you already said. But anyway. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I, 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 my mind just blinked out. What are we doing again in October? Oh, yeah. Tessa? Spooktober. I feel like it's slightly different every time. It's like a fingerprint. Yeah. There's actually a little edge in that last one, too. You could hear it. Anyway. Right. Like the knives of the things in the, 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 the media we'll be consuming because Spooktober is dangerous. So I just wanted to talk really quickly about uh, what we're doing for that three-week event. And uh, I do. I don't know about the rest of you two, but I have some spots open and I would love to hear recommendations from listeners so anyway andy what do you have planned for you know the thing i'm not going to make tessa say it again just yet oh i will she's not going to do it so okay okay fair enough uh well what do i have planned what do i have oh man i (laughs) i had something planned and if i had read the notes beforehand i would have known to, to look it up uh one of the things i will be reading i will be reading uh something is killing the children which is a uh supposedly a, a horror um a horror uh, comic book i will also be playing some spooky spooky games um some spooky games uh i'm i'm going to be trying to do multiple games to talk about the spooky spooky and games. We are talking about video games, not tabletop games. Right. I don't think tabletop games could be very spooky. Um I, I I'm happy to be proven wrong. Please uh somebody tell me about a spooky spooky board game. That was a um, challenge to the internet. Yes. Oh, 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 and don't try to trick me, okay? I don't want any of these haunted Ouija boards. I I don't I don't want to know about the 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 Jumanji, but it's a horror thing. No, no, no. It's a real a real board game that's being played as it was meant to by people who profit from its being bought and being played, okay? I I don't I don't I don't want any of this uh any of these haunted things happening to me. Um and you then hear that finally, everyone do not send Andy cursed board games. Right. Uh, right. And no and no no situations where you think it's horror but it's actually some real life horror so no broken token affiliated things nothing like that okay right exactly and also uh so i i've already started this but for for Tessa and Sam i went on ebay and i typed in haunted dolls and i paid this lady for a haunted doll and all I had to do was just tell her your names and the haunted doll will show up eventually at your place, wherever you are. Well, you know, much like everything else in life, The Simpsons taught me how to deal with this. All you got to do is open up the back of the doll and switch it from evil to good. Fin- finally, for the final week of Spooktober, I'll be doing a uh, spooky movie horror marathon because... Um, I, I I don't have a lot of time, and this is a great way to waste the time that I do have. Will you be taking recommendations for that movie marathon? I will absolutely be taking recommendations. Um, I will be taking recommendations for everything. Everywhere. Nice. Please, please give me horror movies. I want some horror movies. All right, Tessa. What are you going to be doing for... Spooktober! All right, I have two of the three slots filled. That sounds really dirty. Taken. I I have two of the three slots Blame. taken. 
That still sounds pretty dirty. <laughs> so I I think the first week of Spooktober, I am going to be watching Aliens. Aliens, plural. The second movie of the Whoa, 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 whoa. No, you can't do that. No. Yes, I can. Absolutely. Aliens, Aliens is very famously not a horror movie. Because it's a sequel to an actual horror movie, Alien, and that seems fine. But I would also like to point out, Andy, if you're getting really upset, she doesn't have it on her list, but we will also be watching Scream 4, so maybe we'll talk about that too. I don't know. Bonus monkey. I'm okay, not at so all upset. Either, either Aliens or Scream 4, one of the two. No, no, you, 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 you can do Aliens. It's enough of a horror movie. So, I'm sorry, Tessa. I, oh, I have no idea. So I have been, we've been doing this thing where there are some franchises that I just didn't get into until my late 20s. And Alien is one of them. Scream is another one. And so we've been like watching one film a year. So one of those two will be what I talk about during that first week. And then the second week of Spooktober, I will be reading the book by uh, Tanana Reeve Dew, The Good House. Tanana Reeve Dew, for those of you who don't know, is a master of black horror. Her book, The Between, is just mind-blowingly good. So I'll be reading The Good House. Wait, wait, wait. How can something called The Good House be a horror book, Tessa? Oh, I don't I know. Feel like Nothing you're about houses have ever been featured in a horror film. So I'm excited to see how she uses a house. Riddle me this, Andy. Did corn have a negative connotation before Children of the Corn? I think not. Yes, it was, it was used as a front to kill the Native Americans. I'd like to remind everybody that the theme of this episode is being hoisted on your own petard. And I have nothing. I have nothing for the third slot of Spooktober. So I will definitely take recommendations. I'm thinking about maybe doing the second season of American Horror Story since I did the first season last year. I'd like to hear from the listeners on whether that's a good idea or not, or if you have other suggestions of things I should watch for that or read for that third slot. Oh, I've got suggestions. I mean, the second season of American Horror Story is is not a good idea, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it anyway. Uh, speaking of Claude Rains, as we were before, this is oh, not yeah, a Claude Rains right. appreciation podcast, but it probably could be. Well, Claude's mom wa- listens, so we should yeah. give him. Yeah, hi, Claude's mom. We <laughs> So I was going to watch for uh, last year, I was going to watch The Mummy and The Invisible Man. Didn't have time. I chose poorly by watching The Mummy. So we're going to try and get that right and watch The Invisible Man this year, the original Universal with Claude Rains. I think I'm going to try to finish Black Mirror. I think I'm going to try to 100% Black Mirror, watch the eps I didn't watch last year or hadn't seen prior to. That's all I got. So I'm ready. Are you, are you also going to listen to the Open Mike Eagle song, Black Mirror episode ruined my marriage? Probably not. Okay. Probably not. All right, so it is one of our more fun and entertaining series. Like I said, it's going to come right on the heels of our two question mark parter James Bond series of podcasts. And uh, I guess really quickly before we move on, maybe we should tease because we're going to start recording this in about a month, but it's not going to show up until December. Tessa, tell them. So this is obviously... Well in advance of the holiday season, but last year, Sam and I decided to do the nine days of Fast and Furious. We all heard good things from you about that series. We had a lot of fun watching the Fast and Furious movies. We had a lot of fun with our guests, some of whom had never seen any of the Fast and Furious movies. This year, we decided to make things harder for ourselves because if you know anything about us on this podcast, you know that that is what we love to do. So this year, we are going to do the 13 days of X-Men. So we are going to watch all 13 films of the Fox X-Men series. We are going to have tons of really exciting guests. We're going to be releasing those in December around, around Christmas. So stay tuned for that. Lots of exciting stuff in our future. Okay. Well, I, I also I have an announcement to, to make because... I will not be outdone by Tessa's announcement that they'll be doing the X-Men series. So, 
for Spooktober. I I am so terrified because I do not uh, I do not do well watching scary movies. But if you tweet at me with the secret phrase, and the secret phrase is Tessa rocks. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I I will stream me watching whatever horror movie you give me <laughs> okay so 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 what what this means i am i am a very jumpy person and i am talking about uh, my, my 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 lovely wife will come in the room when i'm doing my work uh not not be engaged in anything at all and i will not hear her and she will go do you want something to drink and i will jump Okay, I am a jumpy person. It could be very entertaining for people to watch me on Twitch as I watch a horror movie and give live commentary. You you heard it here first, y'all. New Spooktober series from Andy. There we go. I will not be outdone by Tessa and Sam doing something good for this podcast and torturing themselves by watching Dark Phoenix. I will go ahead and take a, a, a knock on the chin myself which will probably be a literal knock when I fall on the floor because I jump so hard. <laughs> you heard it here first. Tweet at Andy Noted with the secret phrase, Tessa rocks, and your choice of horror movie to watch Andy stream on Twitch during Spooktober. So, Sam, we're going to move into what you did this week, but first I would like to point out that Soul Music is actually the title of a Terry Pratchett novel, which is what I thought you did this week when you entitled the segment Soul Music. But you actually listened to some soul music this week. Wait, is this music of the soul? Like like is this like 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 if you pull someone's soul out and put it on a uh, on a weird um a, a weird paranormal uh what oh god, what do they call those things before record players? Uh sonogram uh you're talking about phonographs, aren't you? Yes, yes. There yeah. we go. A weird, a weird supernatural phonograph. Uh, and and play is that is is that what you're talking about? First, you know, as increasingly problematic as it gets, and then it was reclaimed, and then canceled by Hulu. But there's this really great scene in the film version of High Fidelity, where this this person comes in and they're asking for the soul music section. And they ask John Cusack's character, Rob, do you have soul? Deadpan. And then he just points over to the section. So, I mean, I think that was relevant to what you said, Andy. Second of all, Tessa, you know it wasn't the Terry Pratchett novel. You were literally in the room when I listened to it. So, what I did, as I said uh, a couple weeks ago, I would do, is I listened to two albums by Otis Redding and... Two by Marvin Gaye. So this was not a deep dive by any means. This was just a surface scratch of a genre that is very varied and complex and cannot be boiled down in the way that I'm about to talk about these four albums. But interestingly, because it was not a deep dive, although I've never listened to these albums before, I, I knew a bit more than I thought I did about what I listened to this week, but it was a really interesting experience, and I'm looking forward to talking about it just a bit. Okay, so let's start with Otis Redding. What two albums did you listen to by him this week? If you know Otis Redding, you probably know the song Dock of the Bay, or in parentheses, sitting on the Dock of the Bay. The first time I heard that song was where it was most prominently featured as I was growing up in the 80s, the movie Top Gun. But, you know, it was also a staple of oldies radio. Interestingly enough, this song was the first posthumous number one hit. Otis Redding died in 1967 shortly after recording that song. So the albums that I listened to were recorded and released during his lifetime. So. Dock of the Bay is not on either one of those albums. Now, Otis Redding is known as, <laughs> you know, I don't really know how commonly these names were used, but he was known as the Mad, the Mad Man from Macon, 
and the, the game MMM. of soul. So he recorded on Stax Records or one of their subsidiaries. If you don't know anything about Stax Records, it is out of Memphis. It is the main competitor of Motown Records, which you have most assuredly heard of. And that will come into play later. The two albums I listened to are Otis Blue from 65 and Complete and Unbelievable, the Otis Redding Dictionary of Soul, recorded and released the following year. So, so you're, but you're saying that Otis Redding was the original Eminem and M. Sure. I'll play your game. That, 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 that's it. That, that was my game. <laughs> yep. So, so obviously, even I have heard of Otis Redding. What, what did you think of these, of these albums? Which one did you listen to first? I did listen to Otis Blue because it was released first. This but was it the... recorded first? Tell me that. Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Can you prove it? Uh, sure. How how would that change things though if it was actually recorded second? I what? <laughs> I I I want I want to dive into the psyche that is Sam. How would I, I that think change? You broke Sam. I I don't think he has the ability to imagine an album recorded second but released first. So, for all you Beatles super fans out there. Let It Be was, in fact, recorded before Abbey Road, but was released after Abbey Road. I don't uh-huh. like it, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, so, so what order would you listen to those in? Well, Would you listen to Abbey Road first or Let It Be first? So I think the, the thought experiment to do on that one is if you're listening to released albums chronologically, you should, in fact, listen to Abbey Road because it was reduced because it was released before Let It Be. However, however, the other way to do that particular experiment is to listen, after you get done with the White Album, to listen to Let It Be Naked, which came out a little while ago after Paul McCartney and friends decided to strip out everything that Phil Spector did to Let It Be. So, if you want to listen to the album that was recorded before Abbey Road, you listen to Let It Be Naked. If you want to listen to the original release of Let It Be, you should, in fact, listen to it after Abbey Road. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. I'm now naked, so let's listen to Let It Be. This is your fault for asking. I'm aware. (laughs) So... I listened to Otis Blue first. And so here's the thing. I really like Otis Redding's voice and I really like Marvin Gaye's voice. You have to consider them as as different entities because they're first of all they're different people, but you get a very different kind of of voice. I think the easiest way for me to describe it even though Otis Redding is a very smooth singer, he has much more of an edge on his voice than Marvin Gaye does. And so, you know, there are some songs that are more appropriate for a voice like Redding's than there are for for Gaye's. And so Otis Blue is a really good example of that. But here's the other thing. One of the reasons that R&B and soul, which kind of bleed over into each other, are not given the kind of respect that they deserve, pun not intended, but we'll get there, is the idea that folks like Otis Redding and Marvin Gaye don't write their own stuff, which is, first of all, not true. But there are a lot of R&B soul artists, just like there are pop artists, who don't write their own lyrics. There are good reasons for that. But then we look at rock folks who do write their own songs, and we think, well, that has more legitimacy. By the way, Tessa said out loud yesterday, I think I just like harder music than you do. And I just want to point out it's weird that somebody who's known me as long as Tessa has has known me long enough that that statement could be accurate and true and you didn't know how much harder music I used to listen to. Although, if you had asked me back when I took History of Rock when I was an undergrad, I would have told you I like rock and roll, 
but I like pop music better because I'm in it for the melody, not for anything else. I just want to issue a quick correction. I didn't say I liked harder music than you. I said I liked angrier music than you. And we all know Tessa is the definition of angry. I am looking at this face right now, and Tessa is about to destroy me. Her soul-eating, like, smile that hides knives is just about to destroy me. Angry Tessa, we call her. It's true. That is my nickname on the streets. So, Sam, tell me about the tracks on the album. What, what were your favorites? What were your least favorites? Hold on. I actually, I actually do have a serious question for, for Sam. Uh, uh, okay. you, 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 you mentioned Otis had a, a, his voice had more of an edge to it. Yeah. And, hmm? Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to, to figure out, like, 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 like in, in my mind, edge means more of, like, well, unfortunately, more Tessa-like, right? M- more angry. Uh, but, but capable of still being beautiful, but then having a little bit of more emotion to it. I'm thinking more of uh, Leonard Cohen's um, Hallelujah versus uh, the other one, Buckley's Hallelujah. Right. That's a really good way to think about it. You know, um, like, you think about R&B and soul is very smooth, right? You think mm-hmm. about it as croony, uh, which in a way Jeff Buckley is, although not always. And then you have Leonard Cohen that, you know, it sounds like he just smoked an entire pack of cigarettes and hit record, right? Um, you know, Redding does have more of that uh, that, you're, that you're providing. What's interesting is uh, Doc of the Bay, before he died, they were, they were having an argument about whether they should release that song because it is, it is very, very smooth um, and lacks that uh, vocal quality that a lot of his other recordings have. And it's the one he's most known for. So Otis Blue was one of the things you get from a lot of R&B and soul albums is it's like, here's a bunch of songs. And, and there's not a lot of cohesion, which is why we talk about singles a lot more than we talk about albums. Otis Blue is cohesive, not because it wasn't just a collection of songs mostly written by other people, because it was, but it was recorded in about 24 hours, 24 continuous hours, with only a little bit of work done after that. And a lot of cocaine. Maybe. But, um, so the two songs that um, Redding did write for this album that you may know because of his performance or somebody else's is I've Been Loving You Too Long, as well as Respect. Otis Redding wrote the song popularized by Aretha Franklin, Respect. What's really funny about that is that it is a song connected with the idea of, of uh, empowerment for women. But in the original Redding song, he's asking his little girl for respect. So, you know, there's some, there's some patronization, and then Aretha turns it into something else. I think that's pretty neat. Um, there are songs by Sam Cooke, who, by the way, is also known as the King of Soul. Um, Change Gonna Come and Wonderful World, the one where you don't know much about biology and all that stuff. I don't know if you know that one. Um, there's a B.B. King cover called Rock Me Baby. There's a uh, My Girl, the song you know by The Temptations that's written by Smokey Robinson, both from Motown. And then finally, a cover of the seminal R&B song by one Mick Jagger, Satisfaction. Okay. Isn't My Girl also the movie that traumatized me as a child uh, where uh, that one nerdy kid from that one movie gets killed by bees and is a lot... Th- yes. No, and that's my... Yeah. No, no, no. That is correct. And then his younger brother grows up to be a terrible person on succession. True story. Good job. You did it. In the, in the sake of... We're doing good work here. But I'll tell you, Complete and Unbelievable was a real disappointment compared to this album. I did not like it nearly as much i listened to it i had to choose i was like do i listen to the posthumous collection that dock of the bay is on but i didn't because i wanted to listen to albums that were released with forethought by otis redding and so the other thing the other little tidbit for complete and unbelievable the otis rex the otis redding dictionary of soul is it has his other most recognizable song the one that Jay-Z and Kanye West sampled on Watch the Throne on the song Otis. The song is 
Try a little tenderness. It is as good as you think it is. It is way better than anything else on that album. And by the way, Try a Little Tenderness was written and first recorded in 1932. That is a mambo fact. All right. So you listened to two different artists this week. I, I just says now ask about Marvin Gaye. And I'm trying to think of a way to ask about Marvin Gaye without like sounding like I have no idea who Marvin Gaye is. I heard it through the grapevine, Sam, that you listened to Marvin Gaye as well. The only reference I have is the Avett Brothers have a song called The Day Marvin Gaye Died. So continue. Sam, talk about Marvin Gaye. Uh, Marvin Gaye was uh, shot and killed, I believe, in 1984. I wasn't going to mention that, but since you brought it up. So um, I, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, now you do. Uh, Marvin Gaye was known as the Prince of Motown and the Prince of Soul. So, How much royalty do they have? That's, I told you it was a really surface experiment listening to Soul. Like, there is so much happening beyond that. The history of Stax and Motown are fascinating. The, the history of the, the writers of these songs, you've got the Brill Building, you've got people like Don Kirshner who broke out of that mold and created the Monkees on the same archetype. You know, just, it's fascinating. And, and, and you know, that's beginning to get into the, 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 the whitening of, of, of R&B and soul, by the way, which definitely happened. Uh, we don't have time to talk about all that, but it's all there. So I listened to two albums. I listened to one, uh, In the Groove, which is also just known as I Heard It Through the Grapevine, which is uh, from 68. And then I listened to What's Going On from 71. So, so Marvin Gaye recorded for Motown. As I said, he is just the smoothest of singers. It's just, you know, when he, when he talks about the stuff that he talks about on What's Going On, it's still with such a smooth voice that if you weren't paying attention, you wouldn't really know what he's singing about. So wasn't uh, I Heard It Through the Grapevine originally done by the California Raisins? So the reason that I know Marvin Gaye is because of the California Raisins. Like that was a thing when I was a kid. You know, I listened to Oldies Records with or Oldies Radio with my dad. That's how I knew Dock of the Bay outside of Top Gun. But I heard it for Through the Grapevine. I didn't know it was a Marvin Gaye song. I knew it as a Creedence Clearwater revival song because Fogarty and Friends covered it and so when the california raisins became a thing i was like there's another version of this song and it's very interesting so i know you're making fun but that is true that is what happened for me i mean it it's it's kind of similar to what happened for me too so anyway in the groove or i heard it through the grapevine whichever one you want to call it is kind of a comeback album of sorts uh gay had done a lot of stuff earlier he had done a lot of duets that are very popular that you probably heard of but this was the first time in like a year and a half he had been in the studio. He, there are songs, none of which are extremely memorable to me, other than I heard it through the grapevine. But what I do want to say is it's an interesting, it's very pleasing, enjoyable, if ultimately forgettable, it's a really good experience. But here's the thing. Here are some of the writers featured on this album. Eddie Holland, Anna Ruby Gay, who is Barry Gordon's or sorry, who is Barry Gordy's sister. Barry Gordy is the founder of Motown. She married Marvin Gaye. There's Ashford and Simpson, one of the many married couple songwriters who wrote for Motown. Jeffrey Bowen, Frank Wilson. You don't know these names, but you know the songs they wrote. Look them up. Also, there is a, you know, of course, you have on this album, you have a contribution by Jerry Goffin and Carol King, who were... Married, but then divorced. Carol King is, you know, Carol King, and she's awesome. You contrast that with the album that he does three years later, What's Going On, on which he co-writes or writes every single song. Some of them are with Anna Gay, his wife. Um, this, this is what's you can call it a concept album. I've seen it referred to it. I've seen it, but it says it on Wikipedia, but I've, I've read this many other times. It's referred to as a song cycle, which is another way of thinking about an album based around a concept. It's just the songs blend into one another. They are distinct, but they are meant to be taken together, which is a big thing about 
the album as a piece of art rather than just songs. Of course, you probably have heard what's going on the song, but I will recommend, by the way, Mercy, Mercy Me, in parentheses, The Ecology. That is my favorite song on that album. I think that's the best song from Marvin Gaye from my own point of view. And so this, this album is very much concerned with issues of Vietnam and the environment. We are not talking about girls and what they should do and boys, what they ought to do. Marvin Gaye is really getting into what's going on. This is the album that precedes Trouble Man, which comes out, it's a soundtrack to a film that comes out the following year, which is very much concerned with a lot of the same issues. So did Trouble Man make your Captain America list? I really wanted to listen to Trouble Man as well, so I could talk about it today, but I just didn't have time. But I am looking forward to listening to it. That is famously the the thing that makes Captain America's list. It's what Sam uh, Wilson recommends to him in Winter Soldier when they first meet. In the American version, it's different in every country. Right. Well, no. Uh, Trouble Man is the one that's on all of the lists. Oh, okay. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting. So for people who are also unfamiliar with soul music as a genre, what would you recommend that they start with? Were these albums that anybody could listen to? What would be your rec here? So the easiest thing to do if you weren't raised on oldies radio like I did is you got to find yourself a compilation. Uh, Motown has got a great compilation that you can easily find on streaming. I imagine that Stax does too. You'll get a lot that way. Um, for, you know, Marvin Gaye, look up a compilation on him, but also what's going on as an album is great. With Otis Redding, find a compilation first. These songs are really good. And then when you start to get into a deeper dive, they're still good, but they are variations on a theme in many, many ways. And had a good time. I, I I should be listening more to this and we'll see what happens. So total 180, Tessa, the prisoner. Why was mm. this a monkey that hung out on your list for so long? She kept it locked up. Uh. I want to point out that every time we said the the words the prisoner this week one of us would start singing prisoner by miley silas miley cyrus and dua lipa so just i want that to be out out there so i love 60s tv i i love it so much i grew up on star trek tos i've talked about that before on this show i love the monkeys i love batman 66 i love a lot of movies that came out in the 60s she loves the old doctor who's yeah, I've seen a lot of the old Doctor Who's. I really enjoy 60s aesthetic. I enjoy the avant-garde feel of a lot of 60s TV. They were doing some really interesting things in the 60s when it came to TV. And The Prisoner is one of those shows that keeps showing up on one of the greatest television series of all time. It shows up on some of the greatest television series of the 60s. It's just been on my list forever. And since the theme of this episode was... Based on something we said a couple of episodes ago about old pop culture that we just keeps hanging out on our lists and we never got to, this is one of those shows that's just hung out there for a long time because I just, it's not something I kept thinking about. It's just been on my list and it's just hard to remember things that have been on your list for a long time sometimes and this has just been one of those shows. So really into 60s TV. But this one has just been one of those like white whales of just, I keep, I keep meaning to get to it. I keep meaning to get to it. If, if you grew up during the time that I did and you watched The Simpsons as avidly as I did, there was an occasional reference that just made absolutely zero sense. Like you knew it referred to something, but it was something you had no access to and you were too young for. And The Prisoner is one of those things. What is this? I'm going to do my best to set up what this show is because it's it's a lot. I'm just going to put that out right in the front. It is a lot going on in this show. So it is, like I said, an avant-garde science fiction TV series about an unnamed British spy 
played by Patrick McGowan, who he resigns from his post as a British intelligence agent, is abducted by interested parties who are concerned about the information that is in his head from all of his works as a British spy, and imprisoned in a bizarre coastal village with other prisoners in a twisted social experiment. And that's just the first 10 minutes of the first episode. Like, I, like that is the setup for the entire show. But they just, they do that, they set up the entire show in that first 10 minutes. But in a nutshell, that is this show. It has 17 episodes. It is a true series. Like, it, it, it is bookended. It is just 17 episodes. There's no cliffhanger. It's just a single plot. And Wait, it was isn't released... this a British show? Yeah, it was yeah. a British show. It was released... How- it... Britons don't do 17 episodes in a season? Yeah. Well, they did in the 60s, especially in the year 1967, which is when the show was released. Blowing my mind, Tessa. Okay, so that that is the basic overview of the show or the premise for the show. But what is the show about? I love it when we do segments where we just keep asking the same question. It makes me happy. So this is such a bizarre show. I only watched four episodes of it, I have to admit, because it's an hour long episodes. And remind me never to put two TV series, especially ones that are over 30 minute episode lengths long, on my list right as the semester is starting. It's really, really difficult to do that. This show it's it really focuses on number 6 that is the unnamed they assign numbers to the prisoners in this coastal village and number 6 is the british agent played by patrick mcgowan we'll get into what his real name might be here in a moment but it really it, it really focuses on him trying to understand what's happening in this village this like bizarro land that he has found himself in trying to escape right he's trying to he's trying to get out of this village But it's also kind of interested in like a psychological B.F. Skinner behavioral psychology type of situation in this village. Like they're definitely using all those things we were afraid that the CIA was doing to their agents in this village. Like they're trying to program people to do certain things, to be a certain way, to give up their secrets. They're trying to understand why number six resigned. Um, because he just up and resigned. He was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And they're like, oh, is he defecting? Is he giving his information to interested parties? So they're trying to understand that. And he's, of course, resisting them as they try different things to get him to talk, basically. And it's just, but it's also really interested in postmodern storytelling. So there's a lot of very strange things that happen in this season. They play with time. They play with different social experiments things. They play with different vivid imagery. There's a lot of really trippy colors in this as well. There is a random, like, balloon-type creature that patrols the edge of the peninsula that the village is on, and if you try to escape, it will asphyxiate you and kill you, basically. So there's that. Like, there's a lot of mystery to the show. It I'm going to talk about its relationship with Lost here in a minute, but this show really reminded me of like a progenitor of Lost where there's a lot going on. Number six is trying to figure it out, but there's more. Every time he thinks he answers a question, it brings up like three more questions about what's going on. By the way, Tessa only watches shows about mysterious locales with weird plots that involve Skinnerian psychology. That's that's the best I can in postmodern storytelling. So that's a that's a real arc for Tessa. This is probably a really good time to mention that we are working on a spin-off podcast called Tessa Watches Lost. Look out for that on this very feed soon. Um by hook or by crook, you will answer this next question. Who is Danger Man? By crook. By crook. That's actually one of the quotes from the beginning of the the opening of the episode by Hook or by Crook. This is where things get a little strange. Danger Doctor Man. Doctor Strange? Just now. Just now. Danger Man was another British TV series that ran just before 
The Prisoner. It ran from 1964 to 1968. It also starred Patrick McGowan as the titular danger man. His name, his character's name was John Drake, and he played a British intelligence agent who was very James Bond-like. He would just kind of travel the world and do different spy missions. In fact, Ian Fleming actually consulted on the series before it filmed. So there's a lot of like DNA of James Bond in this particular character. Patrick McGowan decided that he didn't want to do a fourth season of Danger Man and pitched The Prisoner instead. So there are a lot of people who believe that his character from Danger Man... A lot of people believe that his character, John Drake, from Danger Man, is actually number six from The Prisoner. That The Prisoner is a continuation of Danger Man, even though it goes into a completely different genre of film storytelling. So it is really interesting that even in the 60s, we are starting to get, for lack of a better word, some kind of continuity between shows, this idea of like a cinematic universe in some ways. Because, yeah, he basically decided to take this character and make another show if he was imprisoned on, like, this wild island. Right. Who is number one? That would be telling. You are number six. I am not a number. I am a man. But yeah, anyway, that that is also from the beginning of the of the series. So, they're all assigned numbers when they get to this village, and one of the most interesting things about this show is that it never shows who number 1 is. We only get to see number 2, who is sort of in charge of number 6's interrogation, as it were, or in charge of the imprisonment, in charge of the the village, the prison. But number two changes every episode. Like every episode, number two is played by a different actor. And it becomes like this running bit that they keep sending different people to try to break number six, basically, to come up with different ideas about how to get the information that's in his head. And it's just such an interesting bit. Every episode trying to see who it is who's going to play number two, what what they're going to try that episode, whether it be... One of the episodes, they actually tried to get into number six's dreams and use, like, dream logic to get the the uh, information out of his head. There's another episode where they basically try to fake him out by making him think that he's escaped, but he hasn't escaped. It, it's just so fascinating to me, all of the different parts of this story. I also want to mention the costumes are ridiculous. They are in full 60s flair. Everyone is wearing bright colors and stripes, except for number six, who is wearing a black suit, but he has his number pinned on his lapel. It's just, it, the music is great. It is fascinating. It's also really a critique of the Cold War in a lot of ways, because number six keeps asking, whose side are you on? Because he doesn't know if he's been abducted by the British or by the other side, which would have been the Soviet Union at this point. And they keep basically making the point that it doesn't actually matter because the techniques of both sides have evolved to the point where it's basically the same thing, Um, which is really interesting. The idea that this village could be run by the Soviet Union or the British, and it doesn't really matter in the end because the whole thing is rigged, right? It's all a game that's been fixed. Nobody's profiting off of this except for the rich people on both sides. And so it's fascinating to me the different kinds of storylines that this particular show goes into. If I were to have one critique of the show, and this is a big critique because I think that it will turn some people off, is that it is underwritten. I really wish that the episodes weren't an hour long. I wish they were closer to 40 minutes long. There's always about 20 minutes in every episode that doesn't need to be there. This show is more interested in the vibe of the village. Uh, it's more interested in creating striking imagery than it is in actually writing the plot of each episode. So, And I think that's just endemic of 60s television. I think there's a lot of 60s TV that suffers from that. And Tenet. And Tenet, the movie by Chris Nolan. Good old Chrissy N. Andy, does this, how does this make you feel about this television show? Like, I was right to never watch it, and I never will. Tessa, is Andy wrong? Would you recommend it? 
So I would recommend it to people specifically who, like me, like 60s television. If you like that vibe, you're going to love this show. If you like the weirder episodes of Star Trek TOS, you will like this show. If you like the weirder episodes of Doctor Who, you will probably like this show. If you are perhaps taking a controlled substance, you will like this show. There's a lot of different things about the show that could appeal to certain types of people, but if you're just not interested in that vibe or you like things that have more character and plot development, this is probably not the show for you. I do what if you're taking make... horse to warmer? No. I do want to mention that I think this is a progenitor t- for Lost, I talked about that before. There's a lot of lost proto-lost elements in this show. But if you go, well, I like Lost. I'll like this show. It does not have the same vibe as Lost. So I'm not going to say, like, if you like Lost, watch this show. But if you like anything that I've said, you'll probably enjoy at least seeing an episode or two of it. I mean, I plan on finishing it. According to the internet, it has a great twist. So I'm excited. I liked Lost. And I liked The Prisoner. And if you don't agree with this, you can come tweet at me at Portly Island Boy to the corrections department. But um, the prisoner ends in a way that makes more sense and is more satisfying and makes me feel a little bit better than Lost. Really quickly before we end the episode, I want to give you a little insight into the funhouse mirror that is our household. Because... We're watching season two of Lost right now. We're alternating seasons of Lost and Star Trek. So we watched Star Trek season two, and now we're watching Lost season two. We are still working our way through a rewatch of The Good Fight because we finished The Good Wife and Smash Cut directly into that so we could get to the new season. We're also trying to finish Lucifer. And now we've got the prisoner hanging out there that we're trying to get through. And we still have the back half of my so-called life. We're also watching High School Musical... The musical, the series for My Monkey in a few weeks. And Tessa is itching. We finally got her to watch ER, but we have to finish some of this stuff first. So it's a real fun, real fun mood over here. Tune in next week. When Sam finally watches Werewolves Within. Tessa is watching the only hard-hitting film about roller derby to feature singer-songwriter Landon Pig. And I'll finally figure out whether or not Sparks is a real band or the art pop version of Spinal Tap. In the meantime, where can you find us, Andy? You can find me online on Twitter at Andy Noted. And, uh, yeah, yep, yep, I'm not going to plug that thing again. You can find me online at Swayla Tessa. Swayla is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. Find me on Twitter or Instagram. Find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog. Email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Our theme song is Hot Shot by Scott Holmes and can be found on scottholmesmusic.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back. Be seeing you.